you have your Bible with you tonight, you can look with me at the first letter of John. First John and chapter 4. You can open up your Bible there now. First John chapter 4. I'm going to ask you a question as we begin. Wouldn't it be nice to live in a world of love? Like, that'd be nice, right? If you could have a world that was defined by one virtue, I think it'd be hard to find a better spot to start than love. Imagine, imagine a world where the invisible God was made visible through love. Where humans interacted with one another in love. Respecting, esteeming, honoring, giving justice to, giving privilege to, seeking the welfare of others around you. Imagine a world like that. That sounds like the kind of place, the kind of society where I would like to live. I believe you would as well. I don't think I need to tell you that's not our world. That's not our experience of this world, is it? What if I told you the way for us to get there, or at least begin to get there, starts in one sense with you? With Christians. Not not so much the political advocate Christians, not so much the cause Christians or the issue Christians, but Christians who are owned by, compelled by the love that they have seen manifest by God. So that it takes root in our hearts and brings fruit in our lives so that we love one another as we have been loved I want to hold out for us tonight this truth. Love has broken into the world. Finally, clearly, definitively, ultimately, it can be seen. It can be known. And this love, the love of God made manifest, the love of God in flesh, if we see it, if we know it, it will transform us and then through us bring transformation to our world. I want us to see tonight the love of God, the love of God made manifest, the love of God in flesh. This is how the Apostle John writes about this in 1 John 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is Love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us 
that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. His love is perfected in us. I want to make three comments tonight about this love. The love of God made manifest. The love of God in flesh. The first one is this. This is a love that we are looking for. The love of God made manifest that John describes for us is a love that we are looking for. Who wouldn't want to know God if we actually believe that God is love? As much as we say God is love, a lot of times the reason why we don't draw near to him, the reason why we don't pursue him, the reason why some of us don't follow him is because we don't actually believe that he is love. We don't think he's offering what will match our taste. Sometimes, sometimes we think love is God, and when he doesn't line up to what we think love is, we write God off. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says God is love. He is better than anything we could conceive love to be. Like my experience with Brussels sprouts, which I have hated my entire life. And people kept telling me, if you try them, you will like them. And I could not believe that anyone would actually desire to eat these horrible little things. But in my stubbornness and my desire to prove myself right, surrounded by friends, I was peer pressured one night. A few months ago, I don't know, I count time by lockdowns now. I think it was two lockdowns ago. We were out at a restaurant when we could do that. And we were, we're, we're there and we're, we're, we're getting set to order. And one of the people with us says, let's get the Brussels sprouts. And the, 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 the other crazy people that were at the table said, yes, as an appetizer. And they said, don't worry, you will actually, and the server said, don't worry. You will, and they swore that I would like these Brussels sprouts. I wanted to prove myself right. Fine, I'll eat one. I'll show you that they're disgusting, even now. But listen, I ate it, and it was good. And I had a second. And the next time, so next lockdown, when that one lifted, we went back to the same restaurant, and this time I ordered the Brussels sprouts. I had heard that it was good, but my understanding of how it could be conceived of and presented and participated in was deficient. I needed to have my horizons expanded See, I I love creativity. I love creative people. I love people that can design things and make things beautiful. People that can take something that looks like nothing and make it into something. That's brilliant. And my, my mind does not work like that. It's not a creative mind. So I love seeing that in people. And it's really impressive to me. Sometimes I'm envious of the creative abilities of other people. 
So I have a vision in my mind of what creativity looks like. But then I go to the zoo and I see this strange, strange, magnificent, crazy things that God has done in creation. Things that no human mind ever could have conceived of. How did we get an animal that looks like that? And I realized that the creativity of our God, who actually makes something out of nothing, is so much higher, so much greater than anything we could conceive of on our own. The love of God, friends, is similar. We see, we see love that impresses us, the genuine love of neighbors, of friends, of coworkers, of family members. We see sacrificial love in the world around us and we're impressed. But listen, the love of God, the God who is love, has a love that is so next level. It is what you are looking for. Right? Like, who, who doesn't? want to love others better. Are you satisfied with how you treat other people? Think about your treatment even this week of those who you love. Or those who you're supposed to love. And we examine our lives and we see there's actually bitterness Rivalry, strife, jealousy, anger, wrath, malice, gossip. There's lust which objectifies and envy which makes enemies out of would-be friends. Don't you want to love others better? Don't you want to be loved? I know you do. This is, this is why we don't talk about like you know, Bell, let's talk, and, and, and we, we, we try to, like, put it out there, like, hey, we've all got problems, but realistically, we've all got, like, problems, like the kind of problems that I'm not going to tell you about, and you know why I'm not going to tell you about them? I'm not going to tell you about them because I want you to love me. That's why I don't tell you, because I'm convinced that if I actually told you what goes on in here in my heart, you would not love me, but I want to be loved. Isn't, it, isn't this the reason why Instagram exists? So that I can put a picture out there of what I'm really like so that you can love me, which is totally divorced from reality of what I know you wouldn't love if you actually saw. Don't you want to be loved? What if you could actually be loved just for who you are? who you actually are. So the reason we have these problems, John says, is because we don't know God. We don't know him who is love. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If we know God's love, we love one another. If we know God who is love, we love one another. But instead, what does our week look like? It looks like children dishonoring parents. It, it looks like a society where people cheat and lie where we objectify one another and covet what others have. If God's love truly abided in us, we would love. We would be loved 
and we would love. His love would be manifest in us. This is a love that we're looking for. But the truth is that in ourselves, we don't see it yet. Not the way we would like to. But here's the second thing that's true about this love that John holds out for us. It's true that we are all looking for it. But here's another truth. You can look and see it. It is a love that you can look and see. It's available for you to behold. See, we, we haven't manifested it. It did not start with us. John says this, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. This is not, this is not mindfulness. My, my kids are in public school. One of the things they, uh, they get to do is these mindfulness exercises where they get to learn to find this inner peace and inner joy. And, and, and it's like, I, it's just not, I mean, it's not there. It's a wild goose chase looking in there for inner peace. The reason why we think we need to try to find some exercise like mindfulness is because we know it's not there. It is a desperate search for what's not there. We know we're made for it. It's out there. In this, the love of God was manifest. Love was manifest, not that we have love that doesn't come from inside me, but that God loved us. He invaded our reality. He, God, made love visible so that you could look and see. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. It was made visible, tangible, something we could touch and hear, something we could smell. It's the smell of love. How was love, the grandest concept and the greatest virtue, how was love made manifest? How was love made visible? How is it that you and me can look and see love? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We were dead But he who is love was alive and he sent his son into the world that we would live through him. But there's more. This is not a hypothetical. It's not a possible love. It's not so that possibly you may live. It is real and tangible. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, John says, the propitiation for our sins. To be the propitiation for our sins. To bear the wrath that we deserved until it was completely poured out. Fully satisfied. If sin is stepping outside the house of God's righteous rules. So so like... If God's law that he's given to us and say the Ten Commandments is a righteous house, it is a just house that he has given us to live in which we will be safe. But in our sin, we want to construct our own house. We step outside of the protection of his commandments. We have gone our own way. We've made our own decisions. We've pursued life elsewhere. But we are stepping out not into a nice, beautiful day. We step out into the storm of God's wrath. His justice, his anger 
at our betrayal and our treason. God's wrath is on all those who step outside the boundaries of his house, of his rules. Christ, for him to be the propitiation for our sins, means that he follows us out of the house. And as the hail and the lightning and the thunder pour down, as the floods roll up, Jesus throws himself over top of us like a soldier over a grenade to protect his company. And he, on top of us, bears the full force of the wrath of God for us being outside. The fullness of the storm was born on him so that when the clouds pass... And the storm lifts. It's fully satisfied. Jesus is dead. But the wrath of God is finished. So that those who are under him in his protection are safe. And no wrath remains. On Good Friday, today, we remember the reality that he hung on a cross to shelter, to cover those who kneel at the foot of the cross from the wrath of God that rains down from heaven. The wrath of God fell in all its fullness, but it cannot touch us because we are shielded by Christ who absorbed the wrath of God to absolve the people of God of all of their sin. The Father loved us, John says, so he sent his son. Is that a cop-out? Shouldn't it say the Father loved us so the Father came? Isn't it cheap that he would send someone else as an expression of his love rather than coming himself? No parent I have ever met would ever believe that to be true for a second. There is not a single one of us who has ever witnessed one of our children suffering even for a moment where we wouldn't gladly put ourselves in their place. The love of God was made manifest in this, that the Father took what was most precious, what was most irreplaceable, what was most invaluable, that which is of inestimable worth objectively, the second person of the Trinity. God himself took on flesh. The Father sent him, and he gave what was most precious and irreplaceable and invaluable that which is of inestimable worth subjectively, that which was nearest to his own heart, which he loved the most, his own son, and watched his son suffer for those who hated him. What would it take for you to feel loved? For those of you who are in a relationship, what would it take for you to feel loved? We have love languages in, in our culture, right? Oh, maybe quality time. Maybe it's, it's words, it's words of affirmation and affection. Maybe it's gifts. 
Take your pick. Whatever it is, why do we receive that as love? We receive that as love because that's the thing that communicates to us, I see you and I know you and I want to bless you. I'm for your good. I want you to feel valued and treasured. I'm pursuing what is best for you as an individual. This is what is going to communicate love to you, so I'm giving what communicates love to you. Here the Father looks at us who were desperate, who needed someone to die in our place and says, I see you. I know you. I know what you need. I am so for you, for your good, that I will take what is most precious to me and sacrifice it for you. Here is love. The Father, the creator of the universe, sent his son to be the propitiation for my sin. Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday. This was love on display. Not for those who are worthy, not for those who are beautiful, not for those with the best Instagram feed, not for those who are healthy and well, not for those who've made good life decisions and succeeded. He came for screw-ups and failures, for the people like me who repeat the same mistakes for the 10 millionth time. He came for rebels for blasphemers, for God-haters, for people who were convinced they could find better love elsewhere, for people who finally see here is the love that I need. Here is love. It is the love that you are longing for. On Good Friday, as Jesus dies on the cross, he makes the love of God that we long for visible, so that we can look and see. And when we look and see, here's the third thing, the final thing about this love that John holds out for us. This is a love that when we look and see it, gives us life. This love gives life. You were on a course to death. In fact, you were living dead. To live a life on this earth without love is not actually living. And the end of life, at the end when no one loves us, is not life. Whether you knew it or not, you were dead and dying. But that all changes when the Son of God takes on flesh. In this, is, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, John says, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. If he has taken your death, there is no death to fear. You want to know the glorious thing about, <laughs> the glorious thing, you want to know a glorious thing about the love of God? It completely satisfies the justice of God. There is not an ounce or a drop of compromise in God's love. John says, here in the death of Christ, in the propitiation of our sins, when he bore wrath, we see love. You know what 
the Apostle Paul says? Listen, in Romans chapter three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all of us who are justified are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom, here's our word, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That's Good Friday. He died in our place. He bore the wrath. That is a gift to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, his justice, because his divine forbearance, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, but he can't leave sins unpunished. So now it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Lest you lose confidence lest you lose faith in his love and think that somehow his love is merely a sweeping of sins under the rug. Be satisfied, Christian, in this. The death that Jesus took satisfied the justice, the righteousness of God. So that now the only righteous option left to God, so that it's impossible for him to do anything else, is to forgive you and to give you Life, Not simply life at some point in the future, but life now. You have been redeemed now so that you might live now. The very life of God, the love of God, which flows in our triune God and through our triune God and animates him and moves him towards us. This love now lives in you and flows through you to those around you. And here is life, beloved If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is life. Love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, we can. We can see God in each other because God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You now have the privilege as those who've been made alive of manifesting the love of God in flesh for others so that they too would look and see The love of God is perfected in you. It reaches its truest, its highest, its most pure goal when you who have been loved, love. What if through you others saw this love? The love of God in flesh. So that they too could look and see and turn and live. This world becomes ever more increasingly a place where we love one another. The type of world where I and where you would love to live. Wouldn't this world be nice? Here is the love that you are looking for. On Good Friday, you can look and see. Turning from your sins, turning from your selfishness, putting your trust in the finished work of Jesus, receiving his love. My friends, live and love one another. Let's pray.